0: Never it on the ground hey this is Rebecca Fleetwood Hessian host of the Badass women's Council podcast we are here for reflection and connection for the high achieving woman like you so our topics are all about helping you reflect on you and your story And if you're looking for some real connection with other high achievers, go to badasswomenscouncil.community and jump in. You can actually meet and share and engage with other high-achieving women. And we have lots of interesting topics that we cover, including a masterclass that starts this week where we will talk about health, wealth, and leadership. It's a monthly subscription that runs from February to November. We'd love you to check it out.
1: And I'm not coming down.
0: This week's episode is with Beth Fisher. She is the author of a book, Remorseless, Learning to Lose Labels, Expectations, and Assumptions Without Losing Yourself. I had the honor of being a guest on Beth's podcast recently, and we had so much fun. I said, oh, you have to come and be a guest on my show, too. So here we go. Hey, Beth, how's it going? Good. How are you? Super good. So... We're turning the tables. You interviewed me recently on your podcast, which was so much fun. I could barely stand it. I couldn't, I couldn't, we, we recorded in the evening and I was still kind of jacked up, excited. I had a hard time sleeping that night. It was so fun. And I immediately said, Oh my gosh, that's so fun. Let's do it again. You come on mine. So yay, here we are. Yay! I know I didn't want to hang up last time we were together. Tell everyone a little bit about your podcast and then we'll talk about your book. You got a lot of stuff going like this episode is going to be full, but start with the podcast.
1: Okay. So I will start and it's all tied into my book. So the podcast is called the remorseless podcast and it's sort of um, an offshoot of a syndicated show that i'm doing called remorselessly biblical and that's what you were actually on so life network for women through their app pushes out um, people shows and so this all started when i wrote a book called remorseless learning to lose labels assumptions and expectations without losing yourself and so um Yeah, the remorseless podcast, remorseless means without guilt in spite of wrongdoing. And so that has been my experience. You know, I am, as you mentioned, a a doer, right? So I've been just checklisting it my whole life. And and the older I get, I I learn to find moments of peace and slow down a little bit. But still, I can't stay there too long or I don't feel like me. So I'm all about being authentic. I'm all about saying, you know what, you got to kind of get over the stuff in your past or what people told you you were in order to be who you were created to be.
0: That topic of what people told you you were is a theme that has run deep through my coaching. I know your coaching, the podcast conversations. You know, I, I talk about it as we we're living a story. And so oftentimes someone else has asked us to live their story or their expectations of us instead of, instead of us writing our own chapters right. for our story. And what's really beautiful and also challenging about that is living a unique story for yourself means that you live in the juxtaposition of the boldness and the sexiness and the uniqueness and the just mind numbing vulnerability of what if nobody likes it
1: yeah that's it that's it and and for me i think i remember from your story a bit as well you know, as you are a younger girl, our younger versions want to fit in because we're human beings, right? And as one of the core competencies of being a productive adult and and human at any age is fitting in somewhere and finding your people and knowing that you belong. And especially coming from, I grew up in a very small town in Northeast Ohio, and there is a village or like 3,700 people. You know, I, I often joke, I got in trouble, before I knew I was in trouble because everybody else had like told my parents before I
0: even got home. Same, we've uh, had that conversation. Same, same, same.
1: Yeah, so like I was there and I just have always been um a person who asked why. I always I'm a lifelong learner and you know school kind of bored me because I could tell the teachers didn't want to be there and I had bigger questions and they just didn't care to answer them. So I kept trying to be me in a space in a silo where everybody else didn't want me to be that way cuz they weren't that way. So it makes them
0: uncomfortable when you step out of it.
1: Yeah. And and it's funny now, because I still have the um, sort of the predilection to make people feel uncomfortable, not on purpose, but I do. And now I'm so sensitive to it that I'm like, well, that's on them. But when I was a little kid, I thought it was all my fault. I took on all of that guilt. Like, what am I doing wrong? What do I need to do to be right, to fit in? And for me, a lot of that stemmed the guilt anyway, and getting stuck stemmed from my religious upbringing. So those expectations not only started for me in a very small town with friends and teachers, but primarily in the Catholic church. I, you know, I'm Italian and Irish. I was going to be Catholic. I love it. There's a lot of sentimentality there. There's a lot of tradition there that I really still, to this day, value and love. But what else was there, at least for me, what my young ears heard was a lot of condemnation Mm -hmm. and was a lot of wow, you uh, had premarital sex or wow, you drank too many beers or wow, like you said, you know, all these bad words. And so therefore you're no good. God doesn't love you and you're going to hell. That's what I heard. So I I did not understand the struggle um, that I was in real time because I was just always struggling inside, this inner turmoil, outside, I mean, I was knocked out of the park, right, I mean, from a societal expectation standpoint, I was like, oh, she gets straight A's, oh, she plays four, four season sports, or whatever, and she's, you know, a good girl, all on the outside, so when that disconnect happens, and you know you are showing up in a way that does not feel like who you truly are, it's, it's an interesting ride, and I started to make very bad decisions, because I got to the point where I was like, I'm done, what, what is the point? I can't do this anymore. Right.
0: F it. If it's, if I'm going to be condemned for it, I might as well just do it and enjoy every single second of it.
1: Oh yeah. Often yeah. I'm just like, screw it. There's no point I'm, I'm done. And if you don't like me, the, and I got very mean. Um, I often tell people now when I coach, uh, you know, our spiritual gifts and blessings um, are just that, but our blessings can also be our worst enemies and a curse, blessings okay. and curses, because, you know, I have been gifted with the gift of writing and words. And I was afraid to actually say that for many years because people would say, oh, you just think you're better because you know how to write or you know, you know all these big words. And I'm like, well, I just like to read. But because those were my spiritual giftings and I was able to do that, I was also able to tear people apart very, very quickly with my mouth, with my words.
0: Yeah, I can remember the time that I learned the true meaning of the word sarcasm <laughs> because I gotta tell you, I'm good at it. But yeah. the I'm I'm I speak sarcasm as a native language better than any other language. But the yeah. word actually means to rip at one's flesh. Yeah. And I had someone, a boss say to me one time, um, Scott Miller, who's written a book, Management Mess to Leadership Success. He's a dear friend of mine. And he also made some mistakes that he wrote about in that book. But one of the great gifts that he said to me one day, and I'm, I'm making big money, I'm doing big work. And it was this, he said to me one day, please don't let sarcasm become your brand.
1: Wow, good advice.
0: And at the time, it felt like the biggest kick in the gut because he was right. And because I garnered a lot of laughs and, and built community around my sarcasm. People expected me to have a snarky comment in the meeting. And that was funny and fun, but it was diminishing my credibility and my value and my worth on the team. And, and so I am appreciative that he said it, it, I'll never forget it. And that was probably 15 years ago, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah.
1: That's really, really good advice because I am the same way. And I was always able to, and it was a defense mechanism, right? That's really right. what that, that is. And, and either people who didn't get the sarcasm in our minds, I don't know about yours, but my mind always went, well, that's just because they're dumb, which was a terrible judgment to make. And somehow it made me feel better about myself. I'm like, well, you know, I, I just, this is just who I am. So I was hiding behind the facade of sarcasm and snark and just like, "Mm, well, because it made me come across like I didn't care, but actually the inverse is true. And I wasn't ready to have all those emotions, the feelings.
0: I think this is something that you and I both need to pause to talk about because we are raising, we have raised and are raising young women and young adults. And this is important because the thing that we have in common as a human connection is our brokenness and the fact that we're all struggling with someone and something internally, no matter what it looks like on the outside. And as we're raising teenagers and, and young adults and preteens whose brains aren't fully developed who have zero context for those feelings that they're experiencing. And these are the ways that we process them that usually look like bad behavior. And it's how we're trying to learn how to find our spot in the world. And unfortunately, now we've you know, social media gives that bad behavior, a microphone and a, and a, and a video. Whereas you and I were, you know, we only exposed our nastiness to, you know, 40 or 50 people and that can be broadcast to thousands or millions. But I think the grace and the space that it requires to raise preteens and young adults and teenagers to allow them to be so messy and love them through that mess is the difference between those that come out the other side better for it and those that come out the other side bitter and resentful and broken from an unintended consequence of a parent or a loved one trying to quote unquote fix them we're not here to be fixed we're here to be broken and connected and love each other through the crap
1: no question my daughter uh, will turn 24 next next month and when I was raising her many of those years in the teenage years I was a single mom so you know there was isolation on both sides because as, as a teenager you need to and she's much more introverted than I am so for a while there was just the inherent disconnect I'm like oh so you did get some of your dad's genes I guess I don't know but I'm for me I'm like why aren't you coming out of your bedroom why don't you want to hang out with me and there was a a, a really big divide for us and I think a lot of to your point our jobs as moms or as you know a parenting figure even in some people's lives when you've got young adults coming alongside you trying to figure out who they are as well if we fix them there's a very thin line and a slippery slope between fixing and enabling and what I've seen other parents who were the consummate fixers like oh well you know so and so I'll just call the teacher or I'll get you on the team or I'll call the coach or I'll make this all better, or whatever, throwing money or politics or some dumb damn thing around that adults can do, right? especially in small communities. And what it teaches that kid is the unintended message, the subliminal message that their parent doesn't think they're capable of doing it themselves. And, or then they continue down the path of life, college and relationships and young adulthood, job searches. And they're like, well, why can't I just get it? (laughs) Why, Why do I have no accountability? What do you mean the answer is no. They don't know how to take rejection. They don't know how to pick up after a point of adversity. They just stay stuck. And that is the biggest point of sadness for me personally is when I watch people say, Or, or just get stuck or they'll say to me, I don't want to do anything again because I'm not worth it. Or I don't think I can, or I can't, or doesn't matter. I I'm not that special. I'm not important because somebody in their past has made them think otherwise.
0: Absolutely. Uh, And especially as high achieving women, I had to face the reality that my daughter was struck. She's 19. She was struggling in her early teen years thinking that she was supposed to be me. Mm or that you know, I was saying that the way I did life was the right way. And one day she said to me, why can't you just be like other moms? And I, I had to stop and, and bef- before I responded, I had to ask myself, what did that really mean in her comment? And I said, well, what do you mean by that? And and she didn't really know what she meant. She was just saying something that she knew would hurt me because she was hurting. And I said, if you want me to be a mom that stays home and doesn't work, you're asking me to be somebody I'm not. And what I want us to talk about is I don't want you to be me. I want you to be the best part of you. And I just want that beared back to me can we just agree that i don't expect you to be me but please don't expect me to be anybody else either and hey. it, and it was a it was a short but profound conversation for me and i think for her too because unfortunately we look exactly alike and sound exactly alike but we couldn't be more different in our fundamental personality styles and the way that we move through the world and i i wanted her to have the freedom to go and find The best version of her and not to think that she needed to emulate me.
1: Yeah, it is such a difficult job Um, relationally. I I feel like for very strong women for you know, high achieving, high power, whatever you want to label us, but but we are doers and we get stuff done and we've got goals and we are high functioning, high achieving women. So in my experience, what that has done is caused relational tumult in every aspect of my life. So as an example, um, men we're always sort of attracted to that, like, oh, she's strong and confident and cool and funny and sarcastic, whatever. I want to be with her. Okay, good. So then I'm feeling like, great, this person's really interested and they like me. And what I wrote about in the book in Remorseless is there's a section in there that says something along the lines of what I could never reconcile was how somebody could like me one minute and the same person who you know, professed this undying love, i.e. my husband's plural. (laughs) Um, I was the same me, but all of a sudden they, instead of loving me, they hated me, hated me. I mean, wanted nothing to do with me because they felt so comparatively insecure when I started to make more money or when one of my ex-husbands at one point said to me, you just think you've got so many friends. They're not your friends. And I'm you know, sitting around like five of my girlfriends. I'm like, well, I, I think they are. I'm not sure why you don't think they are, but there was a lot of, again, relational condemnation that I, I I couldn't help but correlate to what I thought God thought of me as well. Like, who do you think you are? You're not as good as you think you are. But the crazy thing is I never thought anything. I was just trying to be me. I was just wow. trying to do things and accomplish things. But man, two two divorces later and I was done. And the same thing with Olivia. As a mom, one day it was this crazy moment of understanding finally that it must be really hard to have a mom like me. Same. She's my only daughter. I couldn't have kids. I had a bone marrow transplant when I was in the middle of my first divorce. I was 25, was diagnosed with leukemia. The doctor said, you're not going to make it. There's no cure for this. You're probably going to die. So I'm picturing Olivia growing up without a mom. And I again thought that the cancer diagnosis was a punishment for my sin. I thought that was literally God given to me. I, I had crazy thoughts that took a lot of years of deconstruction to figure out Wow, was I off base. Um, but it, it dawned on me that Olivia and I are so incredibly close. But yet, when she was in the process of trying to figure out who she truly is, and was going to be teenage years, to have me as an example, um, who I was in the process of working through, you know, all of the the grief of a divorce and so forth, and trying to find my way back to myself, that had to be incredibly hard for her to watch, and to show me love, because she, in some weird way, knew and knows how much I adore her unconditionally, but yet, she purposely couldn't have me be the person, her go-to at that time. A counselor told me, actually, I I, I said her to counseling. I'm like, look, if you're not going to talk to me, you got to talk to somebody. You can't hold all of this in. And the counselor looked at me and said, why would you think that you would be her person? Because she's trying to find her independence. She's trying to find her authenticity, which are things I know you care about. But if you have been the only and primary example for her, she's got to bust away from that, break away from that so she can literally craft it and create it on her own. I'm like, well, this makes sense. Where is that in Psych 101?
0: (laughs) It's so true. And as a mom, I experienced the same thing. And I hear my daughter talk about other moms and the conversations they were having. And there's a part of your soul that just aches because you think that's my, that's my little girl. And I, I like you just mourned it for a bit. And then I had to work myself out of that it was turning into this thing where I became needy and oh, yeah. and kind of threw some you know guilt vibes about really? some of that stuff. And we have a very open conversation relationship in this house. And so they weren't afraid to share with me that that's how things were being felt and heard. And so I had to check myself and say, it's true. And, and then I just, I sat down with her one day and just said, I'm sorry, I miss you. I miss being your everything, and I know I can't continue to be your everything if you're going to be you, but I just need you to know that I don't expect you to fix it or change it. I just want you to know what I'm feeling, Um, and my daughter is not a... She doesn't like to have these kinds of conversations. I kind of have to just work them in, in the car, some going somewhere or something. When she's trapped. Yes, when she's (laughs) trapped. But I think it's important that even when the conversation is difficult, that we still say the words and say the words, not expecting return. Oftentimes, I think we say things to our our young adults and our teenagers, and we expect them to go, you're so right, mom. Thanks for sharing that. No, all I care about is did she go away knowing how I felt and and did it touch her in a way that maybe she'll need that later? I don't need, I shouldn't say it because I need the affirmation of act.
1: Right. And that's the difference between selfish parenting and selfless parenting. And I've seen so many selfish parents just who need that affirmation as a parent who have you know, also gone through broken relationships or difficult parts in their adult journeys. And I think the thing that kids don't realize is that as parents, like, you know, we have a lot of the same hurts and we're just a little bit older, a little bit further on our journey. So we're trying to kind of work through that and OPS, like coach and parent and raise up a kid, but we're not always going to get it right. And it's a struggle. So I'm just, I'm very grateful that um, Olivia has come to, to be okay with exactly who she is too. That was my, I think that's my greatest accomplishment, achievement in life. If somebody says, "Oh, what's the thing you're the most proud of?" I, I don't even waver. I'm like, "Well, my daughter," because she knows who she is and she's out in the world helping other people, and she's good. Like, as long as she's good, that's that's to me worth every tear you know that I shed when she didn't want to talk to me or be in a relationship. I'm like, "Okay, I battled through that, and this is the outcome. And thank God it's the outcome because, you know, God gives us our kids for a certain amount of time, and then it's like, let them fly, let them go."
0: Yeah. And you and I've talked about this. We, we both agree that they're good means they are being themselves and it's not tied to achievement because that's, that's a societal stressor that my kids, even though it hasn't been put upon them inside their home, it's been put upon them in their schools and with their peers and with just the societal message that if you're not on a fast track to, something that you must be doing it wrong and that's That's bullshit
1: yeah like (laughs) yale fast track to yale you're like okay look and it's just basically i used to roll my eyes i used to be the girl who would roll her eyes when somebody would try and like in my own words give me the mumbo jumbo bs about mindfulness or stillness or go do some yoga i'm like i'm a marathoner sitting still and chanting not my thing it's like running far fast and swearing is my thing so they kind of don't align um (laughs) So I would I was for many years the last person who wanted to hear about being still and having time. And the older I get, the more I realize how imperative that is because when I don't have that time to connect to my inner well-being, my outer decisions, my outer well-being is a mess. So.
0: The literal tagline of this podcast is reflection and connection. And usually we have a bias towards one more than the other, but it's the, the to me, that's the true life balance. It's not about time and task and who you're spending your time with home or work. Life balance is the balance of reflection and connection. Yeah. The amount of time that you listen to those small voices in your own head and heart and let God speak to you because of this, the time that you've given in stillness, but then also then to use that, to connect in a meaningful way to me, that's, that's where you get a sense of peace and satisfaction. For sure. The wholeness. Yeah.
1: took a lot of time to get whole, but that's part of the journey too. And yeah, really, that's, that's why I wrote the book. You asked me earlier, you know, why did you write this? And one, it's also another kind of crazy story about being who you were created to be, which is, I always knew I loved to write and forever, you know, teachers, you sh- you're a pretty writer. And so here's me a little bit of sarcasm I'm like, well, pretty's the wrong adjective. I mean a pretty writer? How about like an adept or I don't know, good? I don't know, pick a, a, a lowbrow adjective, but pretty. You know, and I was, I hated that. I, I never wanted to be ever associated with exterior and internal, you know, my internal abilities and skills. And so anyway, I, I wrote and wrote and wrote everything but a book for a long time, I wrote blogs and I would help people and I would write papers for Olivia and her friends when they were in high school and resumes and the newspapers and magazine articles. But when when I really sat down to think about writing a book, I was afraid because to me, if writing is the one thing that I have been hearing for so many years that I'm good at, and I should do the shoulds. And if this is the skill set, the God given spiritual gift that I have, man, if I mess this thing up, then Who am I? Then what does that leave me if I really suck and I'm terrible at it? So it took a while. And um, Olivia actually is the reason that I did it. You know, that girl, I often tell people too, I learn more from her as my daughter than I'm sure I've imparted, you know, to her than she's learned from me. So
0: she said, Mom, I was in a
1: corporate sales job for 25 years. I automate business automated past tense business processes and would go into organizations and basically just help them with their organizational structure, you know, business process, which I love. I have a high acumen for business process. And so I left that world because I said, I'd like to take a sabbatical to write a book. And that was at Olivia's uh, doing, you know, her prodding of me. She said, mom, in between my undergrad, she went to IU, in between undergrad and graduate school, can I live with you guys? Because I am married again, third time's a charm. And can I live with you guys in Grand Rapids And you know, until I figure out where I'm going to go for grad school. So she's working and so forth. And I'm like, absolutely. So she goes, mom, this might be the last time that we ever are like under the same roof living together. And she's like, and we get along now (laughs) bonus. (laughs) Yeah. She's like, so maybe you should walk away from your job, write the book. She was my consummate encourager. She gave me, um, I think it was her mother's day last year, eat, pray, love. And on the inside, wrote, "Mom, I hope you find your eat, pray, love moment as you write your own book." And I'm like, "This girl!"
0: Oh, that gives me chills. Yeah, <laughs> she's awesome. So
1: that's how I did it, and I, I wrote it, and and I just I use a lot of our examples in there. Um, you know, not super personal, but real world enough that I think that it relates and resonates with people who are like going through difficult times or struggling with authenticity. You know, you have to learn to lose and deconstruct. As I always, you know, say with religion everything that you thought you heard, everything that you thought you should be, or it was the right way to do things or the constructs that say you should function like this inside of this. And I'm like, but what
0: if you don't? Right. (laughs) Then what? Absolutely. And you just spoke to what I said earlier about the hardest part about being yourself is the vulnerability that it takes. What if somebody doesn't like that about me, myself? And I am suffering that same vulnerability you know, we've got that writer thing in common, and I too wrote tons of blogs and 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 business things, but just sent my first book to, well, second book, I didn't do anything with the first one to an editor. um, and I'm waiting for that feedback in the next couple of weeks. And this is a really weird time because she's gonna send that back to me and tell me what she liked and didn't like about it. Yeah. And so I'm enjoying the break of not thinking I should be writing or working on the book, but there's also this this trepidation of, underlying undercurrent of fear of what's about to get back to me
1: <laughs> right right. and I'll tell you I did um, a book blast so I was on site with a publisher in uh, my editor and I had 17 I thought 17 or 18 chapters already written so my job was to keep ahead of them while they edited and so forth and once I understood what redlining was I'm like well red's now my least favorite color in the world right. but what was so hard is you're right it's you want somebody to take your story and your experiences and your journey and your hurts and pains and basically affirm them. In our case, through our writings and through our words, instead of just when they redline, I'm like, but that actually happened. And she's like, but you can't say it that way. I'm like, but that's how I feel. And it wasn't necessarily like a grammatical change that upset me as much as content change. Yeah, uh, it was more like, but that is what happened to me, and. Thankfully, most most of it was grammatical um, and out of the gate because it was with the Christian publisher. She's like, "You can't say shit." I'm like, "What?" what do
0: you mean? <laughs> but I just did say shit, so I, I know. <laughs>
1: I go, but I, I used an asterisk. I, it's S H asterisk. Like, what? Why can't I use this word? And and I still tell people on my podcast on my show, I'm like, I am the the woman that will remind you, you're not going to hell for saying hell. Ugh. Yeah. It's not about that. It's about wielding our, our words and our, our gifts to help other people. And if you're
0: going at people, different story. That's a different story. And remind us again, what's the definition of the word remorseless? It means without guilt, in spite of wrongdoing,
1: without guilt, in spite of all the things in your past that you've done wrong. And, and our past could be like 10 minutes ago, but what it means is you can't move forward and be authentic for the greater good, do good works that we're called to do. If you're still stuck back there and remaining heavy laden, heavy burdened in guilt. Guilt's a horrible thing to carry with us. It's too heavy,
0: much too heavy. It has ramifications in physiological ways, spiritual ways, emotion, every every aspect of our lives, it impacts it. And and you and I giggle about this often. The only thing we all have in common, the only common human experience we have is our imperfection. The fact that we're all... We've all done stuff we shouldn't have and we did. And here we still are. And so I love the title and I love looking up the definition of words. That's how I became just passionate about the difference between striving and thriving. When I looked at the definition of striving was battle and conflict. I was like, well, that explains a lot. We've used it as a moniker of success forever. And so knowing the definition of remorseless and then being able to step back and say, oh, this isn't, this isn't a fancy smancy, airy fairy word. This is our human experience. It is.
1: It is. Yeah. And so, you know, I also, um, so that went through a publisher and I self-published recently, which I'm almost even a little prouder of the companion workbook. And so that's on on Amazon as well, but it's, it's the journey of finding yourself. So it's, you know, the remorseless workbook, right? Again, learning to lose labels, expectations, and assumptions, and finding yourself. Because it's one thing to say, how do I not lose myself? How do I put up the right defense mechanism so that I'm still an open human being, open to love, open to learning, open to life, but yet how do I do that and not lose myself, you know, at the expense of all those things? And then, workbook is like actually putting actionable tools in place. Real reminders is what I call them. Real reminders and a self hangout. Because one of the things that I never did as a super independent, autonomous person was take time for me because I was so busy pleasing everybody else. Like, oh, you want to hang out? Sure, I'm there. Oh, I'm going to go work. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go, go, go. But I never connected with myself. And now that's my, my time. Like I don't waver from yeah. that.
0: This marks this week marks the seven year anniversary of a two year, two month stint of pneumonia that I had seven years ago. And it was the first time as an adult, I remember being still. And it was a gift. It was wrought with pain and coughing and pulled muscles from coughing and, and, and ridiculousness, but it was forced stillness. And I will never, ever go back to a life that I don't incorporate stillness as a part of my practice.
1: Yep. And I am thankful for all that stuff too. I think many people, I, you know, when you ask them, Hey, what was the best thing of 2020 for you? A lot of people say the same thing
0: mm-hmm. because they finally I, got it. Yeah. I think it'll take some time, but. Well, thank you for being here. And I want people to continue to connect with you. You you do personal and professional coaching. You've got the workbook that people can buy and the book. Um, How can people find you, follow you, the podcast? You've got lots of great resources and things for people. What's the best way for people to find you and all that you're doing?
1: Yeah. Thank you. The best way, bethfisher.com. It's all on my website. The media is there. The books are there. Contact me is there. Coaching is all there. So yeah, I, I would love to do that. One of my favorite things in life is just to you know, empower women, you know, of all ages to say you can do this show up exactly who you are, you want to know how to navigate corporate like we can talk about that navigate a marathon navigate adversity divorce cancer. Like just show up and get through it, it all starts with inner work, and so I just I, I enjoy it and I think. It, if I would have had people women strong women come alongside me at points in my journey when I needed the most. I don't really wonder what the outcome would be because I'm thankful for those experiences, but I do look back and say, man, that would have been useful.
0: (laughs) Amen. Amen. But thank you. Thanks for being here. Yeah, I loved it. Thanks for having me. I'm not coming down. Thanks so much for being here. As I said, don't forget to jump into the online community, badasswomenscouncil.community, and check out the masterclass. I mean, what would it be like if four times a month you had scheduled to jump on a Zoom call to have a real conversation? This isn't speakers coming in to talk at you. This is you engaging in conversation with other high achievers around topics related to health, Wealth and leadership. I brought in three amazing masters to work with me. We're going to cover your uniqueness, both in mindset, gifts, talents, and abilities, as well as the weekly rhythm that you work in. And we have Eliza Kingsford, who's going to talk about brain powered health. We have Alyssa Bartenbach, who's going to talk about the combination of courage and resilience for leadership. And Emily Shaw, who's going to talk about the psychology of sales, because we're all selling something. The topics will be rich. The relationships will be unmatched. And don't you just need some new energy in your life right now? So come on in. We'd love to have you.